So my story starts really as an infant. I'm growing up in the 70s in France, okay, and in, I would say, quite a remarkable family, a faith-filled family. You've met my, my father, he's a man full of faith, and you should have met my grandfather. My grandfather was, was epic. He was a revivalist. Uh, it's a whole story by itself of how he came to Christ in France, who is really a Catholic country, sometimes a little bit dead in their faith, really. But my, my, my grandfather literally would um, do the market, so he was not a minister per se, but he would do the market and preach the gospel and see people healed as he was doing the market. So there are stories of paraplegic jumping out of his van, completely healed. And in many towns, in many towns he visits in France doing the market, on the back of it, people have actually uh, planted churches. So you could, uh, you know, some of the, of the church's roots come back to my grandfather. So it's quite epic. Uh, uh, when I was young, uh, I saw uh, literally people walking out of wheelchair. I've seen that from my eyes. Uh, my own brother was uh, healed uh, from leukemia, so that's quite a serious thing. And I know of two resurrection of the dead that my own father, uh, you know, seen from his eyes. Very, very, very quickly, age five or six, my favorite game is to preach, baptize, and speak in tongues. <laughs> and I've got an audience of one, my little brother. So. I'm baptizing him, I'm praying over him, you know. And my mom says that um, uh, several times I actually prayed for her and she, she completely got, was ill. So I didn't quite understand yet, you know, but it was really in my heart. However, in this remarkable context, I was quickly made aware of two things. First of all, my dad had been dreaming of a firstborn son, okay? And he wanted to call him David. And here I was, Rachel, firstborn daughter. And it was not exactly the picture he had in mind. And secondly, uh, my mom had a prophetic dream that my brother would really serve God, you know. And, and really, for me, I felt, oh, but what is the expectation for me? There was none. It was like, well, you know, you, it's okay. You, you, you will marry someone great and you'll be all right. Here was my first obstacle. Uh, you know, it was a, uh, sorry, you know, I've got to say, I'm not judging my parents. It was a, a thing of the time. It's how it was at the time, you know, by the way, you know, so, so it's not that they, they were doing wrong per se. So, but here was my first obstacle. There was no expectation for me to fulfill any destiny in terms of serving God or even in terms of doing a career or something extraordinary. It was just, okay, that's fine. You will be faithful. You will, you know. And this context for me created quite an orphan heart. And it took me years to heal from that. First of all, I thought, that's not fair. And I felt really deeply hurt and rejected. And I had to deal with that, you know, as I was growing up. And, and, I, how it's, yeah. and the second thing, which is a consequence of, of the first thing, it provoked a reaction. And the reaction was, do you know what? I'm going to jolly prove you that I'm going to do extraordinary things. I will prove you I'm more intelligent and I'm certainly more capable. So it's not that I was angry or, um, you know, or, you know, I was not particularly difficult, 
but there was a deep sense of frustration and unfairness that lead me to striving. Okay, that's the first thing. But God continued to pursue me. And age 15, you know, I, I am baptized in the spirit and I remember being so hungry. And I told you a little bit about that last time, but I prophetically received a missionary call. So I knew I, I was called to not leave it in my country. I knew that about in 10 years time, I will be called to, do, to go into another nation. I didn't know how and what, what uh, but uh, I was clearly given a passage in Joshua, the same passage was used 10 years after uh, when I was in Stoneleigh and God told me, you're gonna cross the Jordan and I was hearing the channel and I, I just met Jamie. And it was really weird, you know, it was like click, 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 click. Okay, that's the one. <laughs> so, but then, so I'm, I'm 15, I'm conscious that God is calling me uh, but for two years, I have to honestly tell you, I, I backslide. I was not really, my heart was a bit cold. You know, I'm going through my teenager's years and it was not going well until I realized and I had one experience that God loved me. That experience changed my whole thing. Because I was saved before, but that experience to know that God loved me that was the beginning of being delivered of rejection in my heart. So God really dealt with my heart uh, and it went more in depth in my relationship with God and I was never doubting that I was saved from that point onward because I knew he loved me and he had a plan for me. That was such a turning point. It was not the same faith at all. It was alive, it, it really gripped me. Age 17, then for whatever reason, I was having this whole thing about God speaking to me about worship and the importance of this, the, the presence of God. And actually, Holy Spirit himself <coughs> taught me what worship was because I was in a context where, uh, you know, it was still a man calling the numbers and we would religiously, uh, you know, read. And I didn't know what it was, worshiping by the Spirit and, uh, and engaging with God. But God really brought me by his spirit to the Bible. And I, I remember I was so hungry. I started to read the scriptures. Uh, how was worship in the Old Testament? How was worship in the New Testament? What is worship? What, what is the purpose of worship? And I, I was devouring. So I actually finally, effectively, became the female version of David my dad wanted. You know? <laughs> I had a dog pioneering spirit-led worship in my church. We started to completely change worship. I started to lead worship in youth gathering um, because I'm so hungry. But really, it's a work that God did, really. In my early 20s, then God spoke to me really clearly about, um, through the pas passage in Isaiah 61, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, is upon you, uh, to bring good news to the captive, that passage. And here I felt, yes, there is a sense of we need to bring freedom to the people, but the purpose is actually that righteousness and praise spring above um, among all the nations. That's the purpose. And I've started to grieve by the vision of the kingdom and what God was going to do in the nation. And here come my second big obstacle. I realized that as a woman, it was really difficult to get any kind of influence or leadership role in the, in the church. I mean, that was me. 80s and in France, and it was really difficult. It's just women were not doing that kind of things. But you know what? God was still on my case. 
So he sent me to what I call the Ministry School of Life. <laughs> Do you know the Ministry School of Life? <laughs> He's very good at that. So I went to the Ministry School of Life of doing a PhD. Nothing to do with ministry, you will say. But he was, here I was, isolated for more than four years in Paris doing my PhD, deeply isolated, but trained in so many ways. First of all, learning that, you know, it has to be my rock, my foundation. Learning how to engage with all kinds of people that are not even from my background, my, my class, my, you know. Um, learning to, to work hard, learning to, to research and to, to, you know, the discipline of work and all of these things, you know, the, the military school of life. <laughs> but still coming back and leading worship and being engaged in the church. During that period, I remember very clearly, so making a deal with God, that I was not going to proactively look for a partner. Okay, because then, I mean, you know, I'm 22 when I go to Paris, and I'm 26 when I meet Jenny. This period of life, I say, well, no, I'm not proactively looking because I know you know better what I need. And, uh, and I just didn't want to, to make a mistake on that. So I prayed and said, God, this is what I need, I think. But please, you know, choose, choose, find, find me the person. And I had a couple of criteria. Uh, so the criteria were those. Uh, I want someone who is not necessarily recognized in ministry, but somebody who would always love God and who will always give his life to serve God. Amen. That was my two big criteria. Amen. And then I had two more for me personally. <laughs> One was, I'm telling you, right? One was, please, 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 I do not want a boring dude. <laughs> so that was because all the guys I knew, you know, were serious about ministry. They were really profoundly boring. I said, no, I can't have one of those. And I said, well, if he's tall, dark, with blue eyes, I would quite like that. <laughs> got that. <laughs> all right. So I met Jamie and we got married in 96. And from the beginning, there was a strong sense that we were called together, like a Paul Barnabas experience. We were called together to serve God, to serve the church. So we decided together that we will move to England because we thought, you know, we're going to be trained more effectively together. And uh, that was the start of our married life. Now, very quickly, I actually found out that I had even less opportunity to do ministry when I landed in England. Uh, for whatever reason, we, I, found, I found myself quite boxed. And it's like, okay, I was leading worship, but I was boxed to do a certain thing. And culturally, it was almost harder because uh, the context in which we were, really, the, the church were lead, led by just men. Uh, and I felt, oh, that, there's no freedom for me there to emerge. I need to just, so I was faithful. I just did my faithful thing, you know, and I, I did that. And in that period of my life, and for the next few years, I would say the next decade, probably, I encountered many obstacles that some of you will recognize very well. First of all, who knows the language barrier? Who has a language barrier issue? Put your hand up. Who is actually doing life right now in their second language? Yes, you know that one, yeah? It's hard when you can't express yourself fully. That was me. You should have seen my English. Uh, you can't explain yourself fully, you don't quite understand always 100%, you doubt yourself a little bit because you're not sure. So I encountered that one, really, really 
straight away. Then, who knows the cultural barrier? Who have encountered this obstacle? Put your hand, don't be shy. <laughs> who knows that it's difficult to do life in another culture? Because sometimes you say, oh, oh, have I done the right thing? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, I remember some people found me quite rude at the beginning because I was just straightforward. I was French. You know? I, I just, I don't like it, I'm telling you. you know? And, uh, you know, that's what happened. That's the cultural barrier. So people misread you, and you misread them, and you have a little time of adaptation. Who knows the demotion and the pain of doing jobs for which you are so, so overtly qualified? Who has lived that? Put your hand up. Yes. It happened to all foreigners. It takes so many years to catch up. All right? Uh, and then the feeling of being treated differently because you have an accent. Who knows that one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, that's really nice to be in a church. You can be understood. <laughs> and what about the feeling of people treating you like you are a bit dumb because you didn't quite catch the sentence quick enough? Yes. You know this one, right? Um, and what about when people laugh because you, means, you mispronounce something, but you were in the middle of explaining something really tough for you? Like children. Yeah? <laughs> yes, okay, so you get me. Those are all difficult. Those are all difficult things. And to sum up that period, I think Jamie was trained in the church, you know, in the church we were at, all the way. So he came from just serving to eldership, and he was leading... Uh, church but for this period of time for 10 years I pretty much did what I was doing before <laughs> that's the reality uh, and even at one point we had a quite a difficult season of two years where we were missionary really in Denmark and then we came back so then 2005 I'm 35 and I'm coming back to England and I said to Jamie you know how much I love Jesus and I love the church and I will serve your vision. And what I will do for you is I will look after worship. But personally, I'm done. I am giving up any ambitions or dreams to serve God in the church. That was me, 2005. You know, God is good. Literally, few months in that period, Julian Adams is visiting our area and he prophesied over us all he re-prophesized all the things God has been telling us as young married couple. And he said, remember, you were meant to work together. Remember the importance of signs and wonders. Remember about healing, the kingdom, that, that sort of thing. And then he turns to me and he says out of the blue, I don't know you, but God wants you to know that he loves strong women. And although you have been misunderstood many times, he wants you to know he loves that about you. I, I, I had given up. I had given up. But then the weight dropped from my shoulder and I was like reignited for ministry, like this. And there was a couple of things happening, but I remember laying in my bed at night and I was literally, my hand were burning. I couldn't sleep because my hand were burning. And I knew that God was speaking about healing and miracles that were about to happen in the church. And at the same time, it is really key for me, I was reading a book called Prodigal Song um, by Timothy, uh, Timothy Keller. 
And I realized how much I was doing my faith like an elder brother. You know the elder brother in the, in the Bible? Well, I was working hard, okay, uh, knowing my rights, but actually not in a love relationship with a good father. And I realized, oh, hold on. Father, you care about me, my dreams. You love me for me. You don't love me for what I do. You love me for me. And the second thing that was my obstacle when I was a child, you know, started to drop. Because the toughness of the striving, I'm going to show you I can do it, started to slowly crumble away. You know, this thing of I'm going to do it, I can do it it started to crumble away. So through this season, I grew in intimacy with God. But more and more, actually, which is really important for me in my testimony, God spoke to me about not looking for position, but to do quietly his work and not fearing what man would think. It was very important for me. One day, in the midst of my struggling to find my place in the church, uh, I was reading Galatians 1. And Galatians 1 starts by this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor a man, but by Jesus Christ. And it goes on. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings? Or am I trying to please people? I would not be a servant of God doing that. But when God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, and I went, boom. Not that I thought I was an apostle, all right? This is not where I'm going to come from. It went boom because I thought, yes, maybe there was never any expectation for me as a woman to be able to minister in the church. But under my breath, I started to whisper, who has called you? Who has set you apart? So I would be in rooms what, playing what I call wallpaper and flower pot. Do you know wallpaper and flower pot? Woman, have you ever done that? Flo wallpaper? You're not a woman, Colleen. That wouldn't happen to you. But, you know, being there but not really seen, you know? Wallpaper and flower pot. But inside I would say, I would say, you don't know what you're missing because I've got God's approval. I've got something. I know I've got something. Who has called you and who has set you apart? The conviction grew on me that some of my feeling of frustration I had when I was younger, maybe like unfairness or things like that, actually, you, Holy Spirit, we are now using that to really establish on my heart the importance to realize that when Holy Spirit gives gift, it gives gift to man and woman. Okay? It's very clear in Galatians when he said there's no longer male and female, there's no longer slave and master, there's no longer Jewish or Greek. So, you know, all our circumstances there, it's out of the water, you know, um, because he loves us and we all have received a spirit of sonship. So I realized that God is raising extraordinary son and daughter, not just extraordinary son and okay daughter, not just sons with an army of little woman helpers, but sons and daughters of all class, 
of all backgrounds. Who has called you? Who has set you apart? Now, a few years ago, I started to preach. And sometimes I would have a little bit of the, what I call the imposter syndrome. Do you know that one? I say, oh, preaching is a really serious responsibility. And nobody's coached you in that. Nobody's really trained you in that. And I would feel a little bad. But one day, God really arrested me. And it said, no, 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 no. Don't worry. I've actually prepared you in secret. I got you by the back door. Why do you think you spend all this time researching, teaching, lecturing, when you don't even have a call for education? I was preparing you. Don't feel like an imposter. I'm using you. So Father God is such a good God. I tell you what has changed in me for all these years is I'm now able to live more from God's approval than man's approval. And his approval is enough. His approval is enough. I have found the freedom to be myself and more and more I am working at building an environment where there's no need to pretend. No need to shrink back. No need to look less confident or less intelligent. No need to play a game to, pay, to, to be empowered. Okay, if I do that, maybe I'll get a position. No, we don't need to do that. We have permission to disagree. Um, it's an environment where we spur each other on to go further, to inspire each other with no suspicion. Not just accountability to, to make sure that we're not messing up, but actually accountability to spur each other on to walk into our God's destiny, all of us, our God's destiny. Basically, what I've found is the freedom to be all God's called me to be.